0: okay we're back october the the 21st wow it's almost thanksgiving is it not coming right along this should be lesson number 44 in our study in matthew matthew chapter 5 beginning with verse 38 hope to get through verse 42 today to finish this passage that deals primarily with retaliation and revenge and those types of things um These are issues of the heart, issues of the mind. This is where this starts. Again, this is what Jesus has been talking about. And this will be the fifth of six issues that he brings forth in this particular passage out of uh, Matthew chapter 5, of course, part of the Sermon on the Mount. So retaliation and revenge. Well, we live in a society, do we not, that's intently focused upon our own personal rights. Now, Being in the family of God, I trust that you've worked through that. Christ is our Lord and Savior and He's first and foremost in our life. That has everything to do with the way we treat other people because it changes the way that we see ourselves, does it not? It puts us on that priority list where we should be, which is not first or second or even third, but it's somewhere on own down there, right? It helps us to get our thinking right as we serve Christ. But that's the kind of society we live in. And when you look at society outside of the church, which is almost everybody, right? So you see this attitude. Give me mine. Give me what belongs to me. Don't dare tread on my rights. Even our Constitution lists certain entitlements. Does it not? There are three big ones. What are they? Been to the same elementary school that I went to. I'd, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I wonder, I don't know, maybe that, that might be all that they're getting nowadays, because if I ask another question about history or whatever, I, it's amazing the kind of answers that you get. Yeah, along that line, I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, honey, what's the guy who goes down the street and asks people? Water, water as well, yeah. When he asked somebody on the sidewalk a a historical question, he asked one lady who the vice president of the United States was, and she said, Colin Powell. Okay? So I don't know what what folks are are getting nowadays regarding... (laughs) Yeah, it was. You saw that. I remember uh, along this line, a history teacher that I had, he he taught me uh, some very basic things about the Constitution. I remember at North Cobb, his name was A.C.R. Smith. That was his name. If he's listening to this, I'll, I'll do him right. His name is Al Smith, big muscular guy, worked out all the time, but loved history and had a really unique way of communicating that, at least in a way that I remembered it. But I remember he said that the right for me to sling my fist stops where your nose begins. And I thought, well, that kind of kind of lays it out there in a manner in which I can understand that when it comes to personal rights and liberty and how far we can go and what we can do It stops when we're offending someone else, when we're causing someone else, or on the potential of causing someone else pain. And I fear that in our society today that we're kind of past that. We're kind of past that. We're seeing some horrible evidence of that right now. We can't go political in in Bible study, but you're seeing this if you watch the news, that it's okay to harass people, it's okay to interrupt their Sunday evening meal at a restaurant, or whatever, for the greater cause of whatever. So, uh, we're seeing some of that, and that's, uh, that's disturbing because it's at a level of leadership in, in our country. So, who knows what's going to happen? We are constantly having to respond to commercial media, which tells us, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but there's a phrase that they use, or particularly a word that's often used by people who are trying to sell you something. They say, Get the whatever it is they're selling, get the thing that you deserve you ever heard that word? And we're taught we're, that we're, we have this expectation. We deserve this when we really don't deserve anything, okay? But there's this mindset, at least in the commercial world, that says that we do deserve it. We honor people who fight for the rights of those who have been treated wrongly and that their rights have been taken away. We continue to honor that for the longest, our our country itself was noted for going into other countries and making sure, as best as we could, that people's rights, these basic rights, human rights, were not trampled upon. And that if they didn't have somebody else to protect them, then the United States of America would come in and stop the carnage and try to get put in place that would allow for a better uh, representative type of government. Those are the things that we're still... Hooked to. That's part of who we are as Americans. Instead, what we get a lot of times is phrases like, well, you know, possession is nine tenths of the law, okay? It's built around things, it's built around material things, having things. And such attitudes like that, all they really do is just bring to light, if you will, the, the sinfulness of mankind. That we think, if we're not careful, we think materialistically. Those are the kind of things that we think about. And we usually wind up placing our deepest securities in those type things when the Word of God tells us that uh, He's going to provide for us. He says things like, seek Him first. Seek the kingdom of God first. We'll read it not too far from now. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not our own. And he says all these things that he just got through talking about will be added to us. So we understand that it's a matter of priority with us, keeping those priorities straight. And so we can hook these two together right now. If we keep those priorities straight, why then would we ever be vengeful over anything? Why why would we ever want to seek revenge or feel like that we could retaliate towards someone who had, and for the most part, just, you know disrespected us or whatever, or maybe even taken something that was ours or caused us some great difficulty uh, that's been a burden upon us. Why would we respond in a retaliatory way or with an attitude of revenge? I think once we start losing contact with what we actually are before God, what He has actually done for us in our Life, that is to say, all that we have indeed been forgiven from, that we're reminded that there's no one righteous, not one. We're reminded that there's no one who seeks after God. That's always His doing first. And it helps put us, if you will, in our place and helps us to remember. And we often talk about that as it relates to a number of the lessons that we've looked at up through Matthew here. We can't forget where we've come from. We don't ever want to forget what we've been forgiven from. That out of God's mercy and grace, we are what we are because of Him and because He loves us and cares for us and has chosen to be gracious to us. So what you find is this. An inordinate concern or one that's out of balance. An inordinate concern for one's own rights comes from an inordinate selfishness. That's where it comes from. And it leads to an inordinate lawlessness. That's what will result if we're not careful. An over-concern about the wrong kinds of things manifests a sinful heart, sinful desires on our part. And it will eventually lead to some type of lawlessness. And by that we mean a violation of God's Word. Whether we actually work it out, we actually do something, if you will, or it just remains in our heart, in our mind, you know, wanting, if you will, that, that pound of flesh or whatever. And this is what the Lord is dealing with once again. And He pulls examples from their current culture and society for the Jews to make this plain to them to make it plain. And of course, as He's done in the other sections that we've looked at, they've taken the Word of God once again and mixed it up and changed it around so as to find some relief or to find some support in the way that they want to think about their fellow man, the way that they want to respond. And Christ is going to point that out and say, no, this is really what you're doing. And as always, His Word goes right to their heart. And we often read about some of his responses to uh, the Jewish religious community. It says they were were cut. They were were hurt. Or oftentimes it says they were angry. And their response was that they became jealous. And even, obviously, to a point, they plotted to kill him. That was the impact that it had. So this self-interest manifests all of this it brings out some of the nastiest, ugliest things within us. when We focus on self. James kind of puts it together for us in James chapter 4. You probably <clears throat> thought of these verses if you were looking through this. So in James chapter 4, there are verses 2 and 3, he says, You lust and you do not have. You, so you commit murder, he says. And we've already looked at murder as one of our six issues here that Christ addressed. You're envious and cannot obtain... So you fight and quarrel, you ever, you ever get in a big mess, I mean whether it 's a church or personal relationships, and you get to a point and you say, "Wait a minute, how did this start <laughs> what What was this about from the onset? What was the issue, or certainly after some time transpires? we really can 't even remember specifically what the what the point was without having to take a moment and go back and reflect, that's kind of revealing, isn't it? You don't have because you do not ask, he says. And verse 3 says, you ask, and when you do ask, he says, you don't receive, and here again is an issue of the heart, because you ask with wrong motives. You ask for things or for favor or whatever, and he tells us why. If it's the wrong motive, then what is it? He says, because you want to spend it on your pleasures. One translation says your lusts. Okay, which is a direct uh, comment about <clears throat> being wrongly motivated. No matter what it looks like on the outside, you just want to be on easy street, or you want some joy or some comfort out of a particular issue. You ask for the wrong reasons so that you might spend it on your pleasures. And again, I say once again, an issue of the heart: why we're doing what we're doing, even our prayer life, why we're asking for certain things while we're doing that i've even found myself before asking for even intervention in somebody's life for the sake of christ and quite honestly what i'm thinking about is its overbearing impact on me and the harm that it's causing me really and I've been, I've been pricked about that before in my own heart and I see some heads shaking. You know what I'm talking about. Because we do get under the gun. prayer, heartfelt prayer, is a labor, is it not? It is a labor. It is a burden. We share burdens. Burdens were shared this morning that push people, bring people to tears. And it's, it's an emotional cost to us. And it changes us. It hinders our lives. But it drives us to look upon the face of Christ and to entertain His Word in our heart and to trust in that. That's the purpose of it. That's the dual work that God does. He changes us when we pray for other people and when we bring those prayers and concerns to Him. Only He can do that. Only He can work in a heart. He can do that. A preacher once told me, he said, Only the Holy Spirit can and correct a person and not wound that person. And I thought about that. I have to make sure that I don't get out in front, right? As we said earlier, that we get the beam out of our own eye first. We trust the truth of God's Word and the power of His Spirit to intervene in the lives of people. I trust we still believe that and hold to that. That when we get people praying for someone, Whether it's will or these other other needs that we've shared this morning. Don't ask me why it's necessary. Don't ask me how it works. But that is the Word of God. We are to pray, even knowing that we have a sovereign God. We are to pray. We are to ask. We're to render ourselves available to be a part of the fix. If that's what He so desires. Well, we look at the Scriptures this morning, I want to read them together and then we'll look at them one by one. Wow. It's going by quick here. Beginning in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Matthew chapter five, thirty-eight through 42. So we look at the first scripture there. And without a doubt, All the works that I looked at, the two or three that I looked at, from commentators and so forth on these passages, agree that this is one of the most misunderstood passages in Scripture. And a lot of uh, erroneous or errant philosophy, if you will, comes out of this. I don't want to call it doctrine. But Christians are not doormats. That's not what this is saying. They're not doormats. No, that would violate other Scriptures. It doesn't promote pacifism okay that's not what these scriptures are talking about it doesn't promote what we know as you know a conscientious objection to military service that's not what these scriptures are about it's not something that's going to end up in lawlessness or anarchy because we're so toast and passive about the world's ways it doesn't doesn't mean that so it brings to light well what does it mean what does it mean and that's what we want to look at this morning it was said that the Tolstoy, you know, who wrote War and Peace, saw a comment that said, this, this passage of Scripture it has been said is what he based that book upon. Everybody read War and Peace? What kind of group do I have here this morning? <laughs> War and Peace? I haven't read it. I managed to get by that one in school. But I know a little bit about it. Russian Revolution or whatever. Well, it's a misunderstanding amongst people and that of course is just an example where somebody pulls something out of scripture to you know to use to enhance whatever they think the meaning means well jesus didn't do that jesus was looking again at rabbinic tradition he was looking at what people had done with these passages because this comes right out of the old testament again they twisted it around and changed it around so that it worked for them But to be sure, Christ's words were given, as we have them here in this passage, they were given to clear up the confusion, to make it plain, to show them exactly what Moses was talking about here. So, what does that require us to do? It requires us to look at our heart and to make sure that we're on the right page when we look at this, that we understand exactly what he was talking about. Well, he goes back to the old... Testament. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. I'll share those with you in a minute. And we know there's a name for this this thing about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Who knows what it is? It's called the lex talionis. Okay? Lex talionis. Okay. (laughs) That's what it's called. And it just simply means it's a requirement that the punishment exactly fit the crime. That's what it was about without breaking down a foreign word that's what it means and it meant two things really it meant no more and no less it was also an assurance that something would be done and that it wouldn't be uh, a weak approach to some violation criminal violation that was serious and yet again that not too much was done okay that would take the response out of balance it wouldn't be fair we t- we nowadays we would say make sure that the punishment fits the crime. Okay, and they were specific here about how that should go down. You, the earliest record that we have of this, even I understand, the same language was from Maharabi's Code, and he was a Babylonian king who lived about a hundred years before the birth of Moses. But you find that same kind of language there. But we look specifically at the Word of God. Exodus 21, 24, and 25 says, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise, and then it, it goes on. We see it again in Leviticus twenty four twenty, He picks up with fracture for fracture <laughs> and then goes back to eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted upon him. That would still work today, I think. Still work today. And then last Deuteronomy 19.21, and it adds something here which is important. It says, thus you shall not show pity. And as I said, to maintain a level of order, if you will, in society, not just the issue of justice, but you can't overlook violations. You say, well, where's mercy and grace and all that? Well, each situation... Bears out its its own I guess you could say correct response okay it 's not like it 's not like okay, he knocked your tooth out, so you go knock his tooth out, okay It could be a response along those same lines just as detrimental, but it doesn 't necessarily mean you're going to knock their tooth out it 's just that the cost to the person is significant for what they have done, thus you shall Shall not show pity, he says. Life for eye, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So again, in the Pentateuch, it's given to us at least three times here. And there's two primary purposes. It's a deterrent for future crimes and actions. Something has to be done, right? Something has to be done. And then it's to prevent personal vengeance and angry retaliation. Because this is a reflection of the human heart. This is what people want to do. This is something that wells up with inside of us. And we ask ourselves this morning, I trust, am I really capable of that? What what would have to happen in my life to kind of push me over the edge in my expectations of justice or fairness to someone else, someone else who had committed a legitimate error, crime, fault, whatever, caused significant damage? What would I want to see done? And we're still in that same boat. The more emotional it is for us, then the more, I guess you could say, extreme our expectations would be. Thinking somehow that the pain and the anguish that we're experiencing, if it is that, I hope it's something more than just being dissed or disrespected. But whatever we're experiencing is going to require a significant amount of hurt on the part of somebody else before I feel better about it. I almost can't get those words out because it's so ugly and so selfish and so sinful, is it not? A person who has been forgiven, a person who has been literally taken off the road to hell itself, has an attitude like that? we have forgotten how far we have fallen. And then at the same time, the Scriptures are clear, and we see it reflected in our laws today, that there has to be accountability. You take away accountability at any level. You take away accountability, and you've got problems. You've got problems. The human heart will go off to the left, it'll go off to the right. It certainly won't stay focused upon the person of Christ and the Word of Christ. Accountability is important. It's a great, great loving benefit to the people of God to have close people around them, to have a loving church around them, and where we have it, to have family support in Christ. That is a wonderful thing to have. But it requires that we give and submit to accountability in our life. In those days, the the victim would often carry out the punishment. That's the way they're System was set up wasn't always a judge, and I looked at a, a little bit of material about that came from the mission. The mission of being the the first portion of the Talmud that deals specifically with the traditions of the Jews, how the law was to be implemented in their life, how they were to carry that out, and what it required in the day that Christ was talking. If a person was dealing with a legitimate accusation. There was indeed a fault. There had been some damage done, as we would say in court today, a tort, Okay, something that cost you something and damages. That They could pick, each of the parties would pick a person to represent them. He would pick one, he would pick one. And then they had to come together, this was the law, and pick another one, a third one, that they agreed upon. And I thought about the wisdom of that. I'd be kind of hard at that. I mean, you're already at odds, but it's forcing them for the for the sake of getting justice, if you will, to come together and to find a person that they both agreed on. And I thought, how smart is that? <laughs> okay, because they've got they've got to begin the process at least having agreed on one thing, and that's always the first step, isn't it? To to break the ice, as we might say. So that's what they were dealing with in the day. The wicked heart of man is revealed in the word of God. If you're familiar with Lamech in Genesis chapter 4 verses 23 and 24, this is what he said. He says uh, to his wives, Ada and Zillah, he says, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. This is him talking. Give heed to my speech for I have killed a man for wounding me or as it would better read, for just wounding me. I've killed a man for that. And I killed a boy for just striking me. This was his attitude. And then he adds, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. In other words, his philosophy is, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. I'm going to get it. And people will stay away from me. And bad things won't happen to me. God help us if we think like that. And there are people who think that way. I'll certainly run into them as as I know you have. Selfish overreaction is the natural response from a sinful heart. That's what it is. It comes from a sinful heart. All vengeance, the Word of God says, belongs to God, Right? Deuteronomy 32.35 Vengeance is mine and retribution in due time their foot will slip, he says. Moses says, for the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon him. This is God's doing. This is what He does. Not us. In fact, the Scriptures tell us in Proverbs 24, verses 17 and 18 that we are not to rejoice over the fall of... Have you ever read that? I think I've shared with you how that verse became apparent in my life back when I was in internal affairs for Cobb. But he tells us that. That's not the right attitude. Again, we're talking about the motivations of the heart. That we think we might be justified in God raining down on someone. Not so. Do not, he says, rejoice in that don't rejoice in it you do damage he says you hinder the work of god romans 12:19 never take your own revenge beloved but leave room for the wrath of god paul says for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord hebrews 10:30 for we know him who said vengeance is mine i will repay and again the lord will judge his people And the primary point here is is this is the work and the will of God. We should say, Lord, how are you going to use me in the process, if at all? More specifically, make sure that I'm thinking rightly about this, that my heart is right so I can be of use to you, particularly in individual relationships. The Old Testament law never put people in a position of taking the law into their own hands. Even those who carried out sentences didn't make that decision as I shared earlier. That was made somewhere else and they carried out the sentence. To the contrary, Proverbs, for instance, 25, 21, and 22. If your enemy is hungry, you know this verse, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. And you see that again in Romans 12, 20. What is that talking about? How does that work? you ever thought about that when you read that verse? How does that work? How is it that when you've been legitimately wronged over something, that our attitude certainly is not to be for revenge. It's not to be for spite. That we're actually supposed to bless, even if it was intended to hurt us. Then he uses these examples. He says if he's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. But he says the result of this in the relationship will be like heaping burning coals on his head. How does that work? What's that talking about? Have you looked at that? What are we supposed to glean from that? Gets your attention right off, right? Right. And is there power in that? One simple comment, I said, the heart of an enemy is softened by kindness. By an extension of love. That doesn't make us doormats, does it? No, like we talked about earlier. Let's know what that's about. We let the grace of God work its way through us into the lives of other people. That's what we do. There's great power in that. It always comes down to this. Well, do you really believe that? Do you really believe, like we'll read in a moment, that turning the other cheek is the right way? More specifically, and we can't argue with this this morning, this is what He says to do. As I said, we'll read that one in just a moment. But our hearts have to be right about that. And to be specific, we must believe the Word of God on that issue. That that is the right response. It keeps us from being part of the problem. It does its work to change us in our life, in our ministry, and God will accomplish His will. But once again, rabbinic tradition came in here and literally allowed each man to act as his own judge. Civil justice was reduced. To this personal vengeance that was often seen. And I'm sure you're familiar with verses from Judges, the book of Judges. You go to chapter 17, chapter 21, then again in Deuteronomy 12, it talks about people who did what was right in their own eyes. In the day in the judging days, because there was no king in Israel, it said. Each man did what was right in his own eyes. What a mess. The implication is it wasn't under the true leadership of the Word of God. It wasn't just whatever made them feel good and vindicated. So what does Jesus say about it in 539? He says, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Really? Yeah. Now look first at this word resist in that particular verse, 539. Because that is a... Court word. That is a legal word. So, without a doubt, the understanding here is that Christ is talking about somebody like, again, who's brought a suit against you, and he says, resist them. Now, if I just read it in English, I get the picture of somebody grabbing me or shaking <laughs> me or something. It's not what he's talking about. But he adds something here. He, says, he uses a word that the commentators have to go back and look at and say, no, he says, an evil person. Is he talking about? evil circumstances? Or is He talking about literally a person who is dominated by evil? Two different things you would agree, right? Well, He's talking about the latter. He's talking about a person who is obviously evil in their intent. Whether it's manifested by a tremendous greed, you know, trying to get something out of you and all they can get out of you that they're really not entitled to. That's an evil thing. Or just somebody who wants to see you hurt have you been watching some of these lawyer commercials on TV? Have you noticed? There's at least two that I've seen where they say plainly their goal is to make that person who caused that auto accident hurt like they hurt. How did we get to that? Is that justice? Is that going to make somebody... Why would they even say that in a, in a publication, a commercial? Because they're appealing to what they know... People want; they want their pound of flesh. That's disturbing to me. <laughs> okay, and if you haven't heard those commercials, now you'll recognize them when you, when you see them. If you watch some TV and you see those coming through, you can even capitalize on that. It's so it's so prevalent in society. We can capitalize on it. We can in that. Give the people what they want. You want a pound of flesh? Well, come to us. Let us handle your case. We'll make them hurt. Okay, we'll make them hurt. Then you'll feel better. You'll feel better. What does that cater to? Talk about a malignant heart. But you deserve it, right? It's the justice you deserve, is what they would tell you. Resist. Don't resist, he says. An evil person. He gives this example. They slap you on the right cheek. And it was interesting to find out, and this would have went right over my head. With very, very few exceptions in the the world that Jesus was talking about, everybody was right-handed. Now, I would never would have thought about that, just because society kind of mandated it, okay? But to get slapped on the right cheek meant what then? I mean, if, pardon me, brother, but I'm not going to hit you. If I was going to slap you on the right cheek, I, you know, I could use my left hand, but if I, if I wanted to slap you on the right cheek, I'd have to what? backhand you, and he's saying that there's evidence that this is most likely the imagery that was being put forth, which is this, it's enough to slap somebody in the face, very offensive, very offensive, but to backhand somebody without additional force and so forth, now you're getting, boom, instead of a a slap, it's it's a hit, it's a strike, okay, and you feel it. Tremendous assault on someone. So with that in their mind, Christ having put this forth, bam! He says what? What do you do? Turn the other to Him also. Give Him the other one. Without a doubt, the ability to do that certainly indicates that something has already happened in your heart, right? Something has already been settled. Okay, right. Because in the emotion of that moment, I think it would be extremely uh, unusual to expect someone to be able to respond as Christ is requiring us to respond here as He's putting forth. He's talking about doing the work between your ears and in your heart before a situation like that happens. That's what He's talking about. And then we'll see how a person responds. I quoted here from my book, Sermon on the Mount by Charles Quarles. He said, Jesus' words prohibit His disciples from viewing any person as a personal enemy. Jesus' followers must regard all people, even evil, evil people, as neighbors and relate to them lovingly rather than hatefully. Jesus' followers are to endure abuses graciously and refuse to seek Revenge. How do we do that without becoming a doormat? How do we do that? How do we do that and not get continually run over in society or even in our professional worlds, in our work work lives? God forbid, even at church. How would that happen? What has to happen? Talk to me. That's how it works. You're right, Andrew. Okay, we're reminded about who we represent. And we had some Scriptures earlier that tell us that if we fail to do that, we actually become a hindrance. That's why I said earlier, this has to do with whether or not we truly believe the Word of God on this issue. We're to be the church. We're to speak the truth. I don't feel like a doormat if I'm mistreated no matter how, if i mistreat it, and I have an opportunity, and I do, and I just simply state the truth in love, I feel vindicated. Right? In the right kind of way. I mean, that I, gave, I had an opportunity to speak words of truth and soberness into a situation. Because God's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us and our needs. He's going to supply for us. He's going to use us for His honor and glory when we follow Him faithfully in every circumstance. Christ is saying in order for that to happen in these intense situations, somebody's striking you, backhanding you, you have to have already done that work in the heart. That has to have already been given over to Him. Do you follow me on that? I'm trying to make that just as clear as I can because this is why Christ is doing this. He's talking about changing our heart, changing the way that we think. And of course the antithesis of that here is retaliation. Revenge. Revenge. And we also can understand that Christ is our example. He is our example. Oh, let me see. I'm not going to get finished. Let me give you these two examples. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20-23. through 23. It's very, very plain. He says, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. We see that same language. This finds favor with God. You've been called for this purpose. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in His steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. He didn't give it back to him. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's the Word of God from the Holy Spirit through the pen of Peter to us today. Christ is our example. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop right there. I'll